energy. How does anybody live and drive in Boston every single day? This guy stopped in the middle of the road with his hazard lights on. This guy won't yield. That guy won't let you go. That guy passes in front of you. That guy goes three lanes of traffic all in one shot. How does anybody do this? The passion. Look, if the Red Sox aren't going to play Yoshida Endeavors as they're about to get swept, then we might as well just give up and go home. The opinions on all your favorite teams. I'm glad that Mac Jones looks better. That's really important. He needs to look better. But if it were a video game, he'd still have an overall rating of 76, and that ain't cutting it. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Happy Monday here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Full show tonight, all 90 minutes. Full shows like most of the week here. I think all week. Here on the Brady Farkas Show. Full show, all 90 minutes, we're up until 7 o'clock. Then we got Red Sox baseball tonight against the Astros. First pitch is 7-10, or first pitch is 8-10, excuse me. Pre-game show is 7-10. Red Sox enter this one still three games back in the wild card race. Despite, speak, despite, despite sweeping the Yankees, they couldn't make up any ground, but they've been given a golden opportunity. We'll talk about what that is coming up in about 15 minutes. Full show again, as I said, Jared Bailey of USA Today is going to stop by at about 6-10, talk a little Patriots. With us, we'll have some thoughts on the on-field stuff we saw this weekend from New England. Talk about the Red Sox, and I, I'm absolutely just just vexing, vexed. My, my, my mind is thrown right now by something I'll explain over the course of the uh, the show as well. You can get in on the text line, 802-585-3026. That's also the uh, Facebook live stream. You can get in and watch us on the video stream. So, again, 802-585-3026 for the text line. Facebook live stream is open. Also, Danny, let go. Five, four, three, two, one. And here we go. Yeah, that's right. Danny McEvergan is here on the other side of the glass as well. Always want to shout out Danny for doing a great job. And the opening thoughts are brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber. They are Vermont's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber. They're online at sticksandstuff.com. So Saturday night, preseason game number two, the Patriots beat the Packers by a score of 21-17. to Pats win by four. They're now one and one in the preseason. The end result really doesn't matter here. It really never matters in the preseason game. It really didn't matter in the case of Saturday night. The whole game, the whole show, and we do have talking points on what happened in the game, but everything was overshadowed by what happened early in the fourth quarter. If you had checked out by this point, well, what you missed was Isaiah Bolden, a defensive back that the team took in the seventh round this year out of Jackson State. He was carried off on a stretcher. This happened very early in the fourth quarter very early in the fourth quarter. The two teams came together, they suspended the game. We didn't play the rest of it, so I think we played forty eight minutes or so of the sixty minutes in this game. And the Patriots have since come back home from Green Bay. They were supposed to immediately go to Nashville and joint practice with the Titans this week. They have canceled those joint practices. They'll just play the preseason game against the Titans at the end of the week. Now, the Patriots appear to have dodged a major bullet here health-wise. I do not like talking medical stuff because I'm not a doctor and I'm not in any rooms, but Isaiah Bolden appears okay. Now, he's taken off the field 
on a stretcher. They reported pretty immediately after that that he had movement in his extremities. He got released from the hospital the next morning. He flew back with the team from Green Bay. He was on the team flight. He's been diagnosed with a concussion. And while there's never any such thing as, quote, just a concussion, that certainly appears to be the best possible outcome out what could have been a really tragic outcome on Saturday night. And so while I am happy to report that Isaiah Bolden appears, again, in quotes, okay, the whole thing just is terrible. The whole thing stinks. And Saturday night was a reminder, yet again, of just how dangerous football is, of just how incredibly violent the sport of football is. And in a lot of ways, Football is a beautiful game. In a lot of ways, football is an artistic game. It's a rhythmic game, and it's a lot of fun in a lot of ways. But in other ways, it's incredibly scary, and there's real risk there for people who play it. It's not the only sport that carries risk, right? Every sport has their own risk. but And hockey's got physicality risks, and MMA does, and boxing does, so football is not unique to that. But Saturday night was a reminder of just how scary and just how violent the sport of football can be. I love football. You know that football is where we make our money, essentially, as a show. Okay, Football is what we talk about more than anything, especially in football season. I love football just as much or more than you guys do, and I think we can all agree that we hate seeing things like this. No matter how much we love football, instances like what we saw on Saturday night continue to give a black eye to the sport. but And we're forced to reconcile and understand that real risk is part of the football package, and I hate that we have to do that. I hate that we have to understand that liking football comes with real inherent risk, that playing football comes with real inherent risk. Now, I have absolutely no problem with Bill Belichick and Matt LaFleur suspending the game, postponing the rest of the game. It's a preseason game. It was the right thing to do. I do feel bad for guys on both sides that are trying to make rosters and now had 11 minutes cut from them. I do feel bad for them. I'm sympathetic to them that guys did not get a chance to show what they can do over the final 11 minutes of a game. That said, it was the right situ- it was the right decision to make. It was right for that situation. We are now in a different world. We are in a post-Demar Hamlin situation world. That situation is on everyone's mind now. Whenever we see a player get carted off, we are going to be taken back to that night in early January in which Demar Hamlin was carted off. And it's going to always be in our subconscious. And Chris Gasper of the Boston Globe was speaking last night on NBC Sports Boston. Danny, he talked about how the Hamlin situation has caused the NFL as a whole to evolve. Um, let's see. Okay. I've got that cut. Uh, um, somewhere in here, I've got the Chris Gasper cut. That was, uh, my bad. I called for it and didn't have it pulled up. I'll find it in a second, but yeah, Gasper talking about how, here we go, Danny. I, I do have it here. Um, Gasper talking about how the whole league has evolved. I think these coaches now are more educated on the effects of concussions and they're more educated on the risks that the players take. I think there's more, I don't want to say respect, but maybe more understanding 
uh, about the players and the risks that they take. And I think it's not just Bill overall. And again, I applaud him for evolving. But I think the entire sport has evolved. Because again, the NFL had to sign off on them canceling this. And it was initiated by Bill. I'm not sure that the NFL would have signed off on canceling this five years ago, ten years ago. So I think the entire sport is evolving. And they're trying to get to a place where player safety is not just lip service. I think there's a lot of ways that the NFL talking about player safety is hypocritical. I think we talk about uh, Thursday night football is hypocritical. We talk about getting, you know, short by short rest weeks is hypocritical. There's a lot of ways in which the NFL is hypocritical when it comes to player safety and the ideal of player safety. But I do think the league, to Gasper's point, is more sensitive to these kind of issues in the last 10 months, especially here in a preseason game. I think the league recognizes the impact that these situations have on its players and its coaches. And I do now think the players feel empowered to stand up for how they're feeling in these moments. Now, I don't know that you'll see regular season games halted with regularity because of injuries, especially in-game injuries. But this one was an easy thing to postpone. It was a preseason game. It didn't matter. The regular season, it would be much harder, or it is much harder, to, to go and postpone games or cancel games or move games around. The schedule is set. It's very, very difficult. But in the preseason, no chances needed to be taken. And um, I'm perfectly okay with what the Patriots decided to do and what the Packers decided to do as well. Texters in on the 802-585-3026 text line. Uh, thank goodness Isaiah Bolden is okay. Patriots and Packers made the right choice. Agree with canceling practice with Tennessee as well. That comes from our guy from uh, – uh, that comes from Peter in Williston. Joe in Richmond has some talks about the Patriots football-wise. Well, I promise you we will get to some of that. Jared Bailey from USA Today will be with us at about 6.10. But, again, here at the beginning of the show, it's most appropriate to talk about Isaiah Bolden. I'm glad to report that he is okay. It's a scary situation. And, again, every year, unfortunately, we get reminders of how dangerous football is, and I hate that we get those reminders but I'm glad in this case it appears that, um, you know, things were taken as a precaution and they ended up far better than they could ever and they looked in that moment. Like Peter, I also agree with the Patriots canceling their joint practices with the Tennessee Titans this week. Look, I, I want the Patriots to be good just like all of you do, right? I've been clamoring and talking about it and talking about all their, their uh, and I've been bellyaching about all their flaws here for months. The work would have been beneficial with the Titans. The benefits would have been tangible. The growth would have been real. But it's also important to allow the Patriots players a chance to reset, a chance to get their emotions in check. I know things would have been easier now that Bolden is said to be okay, and they saw him in the team flight, and they do appear to have dodged something serious. But the decision was made in the moment. And, and you know, again, could they have done it? Now that they know he's okay, maybe. But with the decision being made in the moment, I'm perfectly fine with it. I think the Patriots can get a lot of things done in-house, with in-house practice, with inter-squad work, with ones versus ones on their own side, and just kind of getting everybody back on the same page mentally I think is really, really important. Again, I don't think, I don't think going to Tennessee and being distracted and wondering what's going on with Isaiah Bolden would have been a beneficial thing for this team. So I'm glad that they decided to come back to Foxborough. They'll fly to Tennessee later this week and play that uh, game three of the preseason. Um, again, after the game, immediately after the game, Matthew Slater took to the podium, and he talked about 
what it was like to see Isaiah Bolden going through this, his thoughts on Isaiah Bolden, and Matthew Slater, the leader of the team, also happy the game was suspended. I, I really appreciate what Coach Belichick did tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he took the initiative on that, and look, we're not, this is not the AFC Championship. We're not playing right. for records. This is preseason game two, right? and we have an injury like that. Um, you know, it affects a lot of guys in a lot of different ways, and clearly our team was uh, shaken by what happened. Um, and I think Coach made the right decision. I think, you know, that was tremendous leadership by him. Yeah, I, 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 kudos to Bill Belichick, kudos to Matt LaFleur, kudos to the league, again, for their evolution on this. And Matthew Slater is a guy that I will always appreciate and listen when he speaks at the podium. One of the most articulate athletes I've ever heard, one of the, the certainly one of the best in terms of performance. I mean, Bill Belichick earlier today called him the best special teams player in the history of the NFL for his money. So Matthew Slater is an excellent player. He's excellent at the podium. He's an excellent leader, has a great head on his shoulders. And if he's telling you this is how we felt and I also am happy the game was suspended, then I'm going to listen to that also. I think how the players are feeling, how their emotions are, Certainly in a preseason game, really do matter. And, again, I'm more than fine with the rest of that game being postponed. 802-585-3026. Again, more people want to talk about the game itself. We will do that in the 6 o'clock hour. Uh, I promise you that. Patriots did win at 21-17. There was some good stuff to get to out of that. There were some bad things, too, but there were a couple of big things I took away on the positive side of things. Danny, I, I, I feel a little distracted through the first segment. I'm going to tell you why next, because I can't think of somebody who played for both the Detroit Tigers and the Texas Rangers. I'm going to tell you why this matters, and I'll tell you next here on the Brady Farkas Show on DEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show, right here on WDEV AM and FM, WDEV Radio. Danny, I feel mildly distracted right now, and I apologize to the listeners if I have come off a little bit distracted. And part of it is because there is one tiny portion of my brain that while I'm talking about the segment, while I'm thinking about the Patriots, right, one tiny portion of my brain is trying to figure out a Major League Baseball player in the history of the game that has played for both the Detroit Tigers and the San Francisco Giants. I am stuck on today's Immaculate Grid. Danny, are you aware of what the Immaculate Grid is? Oh, very aware. Okay. So for the listeners who aren't, the Immaculate Grid is a daily challenge. and They have it for baseball. They have it for basketball. They have it for football. They also have it for hockey. It's a daily challenge in which you are given kind of a three-by-three box. And so eventually you will have nine players to fill these nine boxes. And... It'll have, you know, the intersection of teams and categories. So like sometimes, like like today, we have three teams across the top and three teams down the side. The three teams on the top are the, are the uh, Rangers, Tigers, and Dodgers, and the three teams on the side are the Giants, Guardians, and Cardinals. So you have to name a uh, Ranger and a Giant. You have to name a Ranger and a Guardian. You have to name a Ranger and a Cardinal. Then you have to name a Tiger and a Giant, a Tiger and a Guardian, and a Tiger and a Cardinal. 
and then a Dodger and a Giant, a Dodger and a Guardian, and a Dodger and a Cardinal. And you only get nine guesses for these nine spots. Like, you don't get unlimited guesses. The reason why it's called, Danny, do you know why it's called the Immaculate Grid? The Immaculate Inning, right? Yes. Okay, good there. So the Immaculate Inning in baseball is when a pitcher throws nine pitches, all strikes, gets three strikeouts, right? There's no balls. There's no nothing. There's not ten pitches or not twelve pitches. There's nine pitches, all strikes. So you get nine guesses here. They all have to be right. And you can pick the most the most known player at this. You can pick the most obscure player at this. So not only like. I'm at the point now where my goal is to win the daily challenge and get all nine boxes filled out correctly, but I also want to get as rare a combination of players as possible. Like, so like I have one guy right now, my giant and ranger who was three percent. I got another guy who was two percent. I got another guy who was five percent. I got another guy who was six percent. My goal is to get as low a score as possible every day. And right now, I can't think of one player in the history of baseball that played for the Tigers and the Giants. It will come to me. I have no doubt that I will get this. It may end up being somebody who's like 50% knowledge instead of 0.5% like I want. But I feel incomplete without having completed my immaculate grid. It's staring at me in the face, and I cannot think of a dot, of a of a tiger and a giant. The Tigers have been around since 1900. The Giants have been around forever, and I can't think of one player in the history of baseball. I, I now I always tend to go like 90s players because it's interesting, Danny. I have a friend who's also really good at the Immaculate Grid, and my friend who's my age will only ever pick players from the 2000s because the 2000s were. That's where his knowledge comes in, right? Video games and fantasy. He's a big video game guy. He's a big fantasy guy. So if they were in a video game between 2003 and now, he's got a good chance of knowing who they are. Pre that, not as good. I tend to go for the 90s guys, and the reason is because I had so many baseball cards growing up that, like, baseball cards, guys from the 90s and early 2000s, are imprinted on my brain forever. So I'm always trying to get as many 90s guys as possible because that's where, like, my easy knowledge goes to. Also the knowledge of today, but there's kind of a gap in my, not in my baseball knowledge, but in my baseball conscience between, like, 2010 and 2017. Eh, I take that back. About 2005 and 2015 from, like, when I got it, before I got into this business. Like, so I just, like, I know these guys. I just don't think of them off the top of my head. I think of today, and I think of the 90s. And right now I need a tiger and a giant in the worst possible way. Are you an immaculate? You're a, are you a good immaculate grid guy, Danny? I'm okay. I'm not great at it. These basketball ones are insane, by the way, because I do the basketball ones every day, too. I don't always win them because you don't realize just how many players played, like, one game for, like, a thousand different teams. Like, every time I look at a basketball one, Steve Blake is an answer. Ish and I think Smith. It's, I think of Steve Blake solely as a point guard at the University of Maryland, not anything in the NBA. And he played for, like, 47 teams, apparently, in the NBA. And there's, like, 15 guys like that. Like, there's all like there's one guy who, like, Edwin Jackson in baseball played for 15 teams in Major League Baseball. Octavio 15. Dotel. Octavio Dotel is a good one. Rich Hill has played for 14 teams. So, like, there's guys out there that could fill almost every box every day. There's like 20 of those guys in the NBA. It's ridiculous. So I haven't done today's NBA grid yet. Nobody tell me a tiger and a giant. I will get this on my own, but it's just been frustrating me for like an hour here. Since I started looking at this, it's staring at me in the face 
looking at me for an hour. And it's very, very frustrating. All right. 802-585-3026. That is the text line. Red Sox take on the Houston Astros tonight. And, Danny, i got to tell you this. The Boston Red Sox have been given an incredible gift by the baseball gods. An incredible gift by the baseball gods in that they are playing the Houston Astros now seven times in this week, right? Danny, correct me if I'm wrong. Look at the schedule right across from you. Astros, Dodgers, Astros again, right? I'm counting to seven. Okay. So seven games out of their last next ten are against the Houston Astros. We have been focused so much on the Red Sox trying to chase down Seattle and, you know, being forced to follow what Seattle's doing. And now you should turn your attention to the Houston Astros because the Astros are three and a half games ahead of the Red Sox. Seattle is three games ahead of the Red Sox. So the Mariners are actually closer to the Red Sox, but the Red Sox don't play the Mariners anymore. The Red Sox play the Astros seven times in the next ten days. If the Red Sox can take care of business against Houston, that is going to be their best ticket towards getting to the playoffs. Root against Seattle all you want. You still need Toronto to lose, too. But you should be just thankful at this point. You have a chance to go up a team against a team that is directly ahead of you. Now, Houston comes into this series licking their wounds. Houston got swept by Seattle over the weekend. They've lost three straight. It's not going to be easy. They get Kyle Tucker back from illness. They get Justin Verlander in this series. So Houston is still very, very good. But they've lost six of their last ten games. They're coming off a sweep, a sweep at home against a division rival. You're coming and having swept the Yankees, a division rival, and you have a chance to go and make an immediate ground against a team in front of you. The problem with the Red Sox has been this. After they got swept by Toronto, after they got killed by Toronto two weeks ago, they've been forced to be at the liberty of what everyone else is doing. So the Red Sox sweep the Yankees. They made up zero ground on Seattle because Seattle swept Houston. Because of that, Houston has fallen back to the pack, Houston is only three and a half games ahead of Boston, and you have a chance right now to go and make a direct impact finally in the standings. It's not this week against the Astros. It's not like okay, let's just win and hope that somebody else loses. Uh Uh-uh. The Red Sox win tonight, two and a half back. Win tomorrow, one and a half back. Win uh, win Wednesday. Half game back. Oh, four-game series win Thursday? Oh, there you go. How about that? Like, the Red Sox could be in possession of a wild-card spot by the end of this series with Houston if they play their cards right. Now, they have to sweep all four. That's difficult. I get it. But you have a chance to make a direct impact on a team that is ahead of you, and you haven't had that chance since you got your clock cleaned by Toronto. You need to take advantage of this. The Red Sox have a hard schedule the rest of the way. Very difficult. They're playing the most games of any team in baseball against teams currently in the playoffs. They have the hardest schedule remaining in all of Major League Baseball. Ten games here, and their next ten with the Astros and Dodgers is not going to be easy. But beggars can't be choosers. You want a chance if you're the Boston Red Sox, and this week you've got a chance. You've got a chance to make up ground with somebody directly in front of you. And, Danny, let me tell you this. If I am the Red Sox, here's what I need to do today. The Red Sox need to fight their hardest to get to Christian Javier early, right? They need to get into the Astros' bullpen early and in the worst way. If they do that, they will set themselves up for a great night tonight, but also a great series because I watched every inning almost 
of Mariners Astros this weekend. Let me tell you what, what, what is going down right now. Astros starting pitcher Hunter Brown yesterday went two and two thirds innings. The Astros used like five relievers yesterday. Okay. They don't have a fresh bullpen for today. If you go and get into that bullpen today, you have a chance to impact that pen today. And you have a chance to impact that pen for the rest of the series. And that's what you want. You have a four-game series here with the Astros. You have a chance to impact that pen right away. If you can get to Javier, get him out early, get a tired bullpen having to work overtime and be overused again, and get guys down for tomorrow and the next day, you have got a great chance to make up the ground you need, or at least to make a big dent in the ground that you're trying to make up. The Red Sox have shown something here over the last couple of weeks since getting swapped by Toronto. Now, the series with Washington was a disappointment. Absolutely was a disappointment to lose two out of three in Washington. Nationals, though, have won seven of ten. They're pretty darn good now all of a sudden. Since, like, June 1st, the Nationals are playing some of the best baseball in baseball. So they're not a bad team. You took your series from Kansas City, check. You took your series after Kansas City, check. Got beat by Washington. And now you've got to, you sweep the Yankees, and now you got a chance to make up some ground directly in front of you. It's not going to be easy. Astros are still very talented. They're still the defending champions. They still play with pride. They've still got Altuve. They've still got Tucker. They've still got Jordan Alvarez. They've still got Verlander. But they do have three consecutive losses, losses in six of their last ten, and they got a bullpen that is coming in wounded. And a, a pitching staff that, frankly, I haven't seen be as hittable in a long time as I saw the Mariners hit them around this weekend. The Mariners haven't won a season series with the Astros since 2018. They haven't swept the Astros since 2018. The Mariners are fine, but the Astros look a little bit different than they've looked in years past. It's time for the Red Sox to go and capitalize. I buried the Red Sox two weeks ago. They could be unburied in a heartbeat if they come out and play this series the right way. Conversely... If the Red Sox go and get killed in this series, it would be a huge detriment to their chances. This is the biggest series of the year. And I'm not trying to be hyperbole guy. I'm not trying to be prisoner of the moment guy. When we get down here with under 40 games to play, there's many chances to have the biggest series of the year. This is the biggest series of the year. Four games with a team you trail by three and a half. You don't have the tiebreaker with Seattle. You can't worry about them as much. You have a direct opportunity to go after Houston. Now, Houston was six and a half up on you on Friday. They lose three straight. You win three straight. They come right back to the pack. This is the chance you've been given. What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? We'll have the lineups for you for the Red Sox tonight at about 6.50 or so, and we'll send you out to Houston at 7.10. Um Text says, people are trying to give me names who played for the Tigers and the, uh, and the, uh, Giants here, but they're not understanding the concept of the Immaculate Grid. Now they say, okay, I get it. Now they're going to it. Texter says, think of a catcher who played for the Giants and the, uh, maybe Benito Santiago? Is Benito Santiago a Tiger and a Giant? I think he was. Benito Santiago. That might be a good rarity score. I'm going to have to throw that down there on my immaculate grid. But now I'm going to feel like I cheated because I got a hint. I don't know. 
I'm going to have to think of somebody else, but Benito Santiago is a place that I'm going. It's the Brady Farkas Show here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Talk Patriots football on field. We'll do it next with Jared Bailey of the USA Today, who covers the entire league. He'll talk Pats with us next on the Brady Farkas Show on DEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show, right here on this Monday on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Jared Bailey, USA Today, NFL Insider, is going to be with us here in just a couple of minutes. But uh, Red Sox baseball tonight, 710. We'll have the lineups for you at the bottom of the hour. Yeah, Red Sox with a golden chance today. I want to just continued praise for Justin Turner, man. I, I mean, we told you in the offseason that we thought the Justin Turner signing would be good enough to replace J.D. Martinez's production. Like, it would kind of even out. I think Martinez had, like, 15 home runs. Last year, I thought Turner, 38, 39 years old, could do about the same. Justin Turner, I mean, this guy, he's got to hit 25 home runs this year. He's been clutching almost every situation. He's playing through pain right now. Kudos to Justin Turner. He has been an invaluable signing for this team. Had the three-run homer yesterday. Had the game-winning hit in the ninth inning yesterday in which they end up winning 6-5. And he's been fairly consistent, right? Like, beginning of the year, Casas was struggling. Devers was struggling. Early, early in the year, Yoshida was struggling. Turner's been there, like, almost throughout. While other guys have kind of ebbed and flowed, Turner has been very, very consistent. He's been awesome to watch. He's been awesome from a leadership perspective for this team and he you know this whole thing goes to show you why judging front offices is so difficult i do think that i have a pretty good handle on what high and bloom and the red Sox are doing and i don't always agree with it but you look around what high and bloom has done and i can point to several instances that have worked out far better than i thought and there are instances that deserve to be criticized but by you know Every front office has major hits and major misses. Like, I look at High and Bloom right now, and this is just off the top of my head, Danny. I haven't really done a comprehensive thought process on this. But this year alone, okay, Justin Turner's been a huge home run. Kenley Jansen's been a huge home run. Chris Martin has been a huge home run. Pablo Reyes, out of nowhere, plucked from obscurity, has been a huge home run. Okay, Luis Arias had two grand slams in back-to-back at-bats. Now, we, we panned that move. At the deadline, oh, the only move they made is getting Luis Arias. And I'm not saying he's sitting here ready to become a five-time All-Star with the Red Sox. But he did hit two grand slams in games, and he helped you knock Garrett Cole out of a game early against the Yankees on Saturday. So Luis Arias has done well. And their patience with Casas has paid off. Um, Conversely, the Joely Rodriguez signing hasn't worked. And, you know, I look in the past, and the, the Garrett Richards signing didn't really work. The Winkowski trade, the trade of Benintendi, has borne fruit in the form of Winkowski, who's had an excellent year out of the bullpen. Guys like Cutter Crawford and Nick Pavetta have helped really keep this rotation afloat, and, and Pavetta for sure was a Bloom guy. So there's a lot of things we can point to that High and Bloom has done well. He still didn't handle the trade deadline properly. He still could have handled things with Xander Bogarts differently, but we might end up saying that he made the right decision in letting Bogarts walk. We might. I don't know that, but we might. So it's just when we, myself included, we all go and rip Bloom. We all go and rip front offices. Got to understand, there have been significant wins this year for him, in the bullpen especially. And Whitlock, now he struggled his last time out against Washington, but if Whitlock stays in the bullpen, 
he very well absolutely might continue to be a win out there, and that would be a Bloom signing and a Bloom success story. So the Red Sox will go for their fourth consecutive win today when they take on the Houston Astros. Again, our coverage at 7.10. So what we will do after 7 o'clock is we'll play a full nine-minute news update from CBS News here, and uh, you know that will kind of lead us into our Red Sox coverage. Hey, Danny, now that you're full-time Danny, not part-time Danny, did you celebrate National Radio Day yesterday? Should I? I, I forgot yes. to. Yesterday's That's National Radio Day. We have a day for everything. Like I think there's like National Fried Chicken Day and National Popcorn Day and National just a million weirdo thing days. But yesterday was National Radio Day. And uh, I had a lot of fun actually seeing you know, the stuff on Facebook from people I follow in the business and people who are my friends in radio on business in the business about where they worked and our guy Freddie Coleman posted his whole career log which is really cool to see and I enjoyed seeing the pictures of people and uh you know maybe reflect on my own career a little bit I just you know every once in a while every February which is the anniversary of when I got my first job in radio I get a little sappy and apparently on national radio day I'll get a little sappy but uh you know I appreciate all of our listeners out there who have who have made this show a success who have made my career a success uh, as a whole, it's been awesome to go along this ride with you. I wouldn't do, I couldn't see myself doing anything but this job. Um, it's been a pleasure, or it's been an honor rather, to get to do the news here at DEV and learn that skill set. Something I never, I never thought I would be interested in news. I never thought I would do news. Heck, when I, I was first approached a while ago about doing the news here, I was lukewarm on it. But I did it. I'm glad I did. I've gotten to meet some great people through that. The Calvins of the world, the Lisa Scalotis of the world. I feel much more in tune, much more connected. And then on the sports side, I mean, I've gotten to, to talk to people I never thought I'd talk to. I've gotten to go places I never thought I'd go. Meet people I never thought I'd meet. So, yes, Danny, you should. As you, as you are now full-time Danny, you should reflect on your career every National Radio Day, that's for sure. So, uh, again, it is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Patriots beat the Green Bay Packers over the weekend in three-plus quarters of football. The game was suspended as a result of the Isaiah Bolden uh, incident in which he was carried off on a stretcher again. He is subsequently okay, in quotes. He has a concussion, but he traveled back with the team, so crisis appears to be mostly averted out of that but the Patriots did win 21-17 and let's talk a little bit about what happened on the on the field itself as far as the gameplay goes with our new friend Jared Bailey Jared Bailey of USA Today and also the Believe Podcast Network is an NFL insider he's on the phone with us now Jared thanks for being with us man how are you I'm doing well, man. How are you doing? I'm doing well as well. It's our first time speaking to you. And I have to say, you came highly recommended. Uh, <laughs> our buddy Matt Verderam over at uh, Sports Illustrated is a longtime friend of mine. We, uh, at one point, uh, you know, shared college classes together. So Verderam and I are very, very tight. He, he recommended you heavily. So that's big praise on our show. Oh, what a guy. No, Verderam is my guy. He's, uh, he's been, he, t- he took me under his wing when I was around 19 and he's stuck by me ever since. He's one of my day ones. A big, I'm a big Matt Verderam guy myself. So having him say that, that means a lot. Well, we're big Verderam people as well. Comes on the show frequently during the season. Um, again, as we shift away from the scary scene on Saturday night in Green Bay and just talk about the Patriots themselves, what is your thought on this team right now as we get closer and closer towards week one? You know, I wrote in my inaugural power rankings for USA Today, I was trying to think of, like, the most bland 
offense, like the most bland way to describe this team. And the best thing I could think of was like plain Cheerios without any milk. <laughs> like the offense doesn't have any substance to me whatsoever. Defensively, they're going to be good. And I think that's been the MO of the Patriots since, since Tom Brady left is kind of Belichick going back to his roots, having really good defenses. But the offense, man, like not, this isn't new either. Like this is since Brady's been gone where the offense just lacks any sort of substance. Like, the receiver position they still can't figure out, and they continue to overpay guys. They just gave Devontae Parker a lot more money than what he was worth. They did it a few years ago with Nelson Aguilar and Kendrick Bourne. Juju's a nice underneath guy. I don't think he's a true number one. It's very clear that they're going to lean into the run game with Ramondre Stevenson and Ezekiel Elliott. And, you know, the, the short underneath passing game with those two tight ends and Juju Smith-Schuster, and hopefully Devontae Parker can give them something in the intermediate game. But Overall, like offensively, I don't think they're going to be anything great. And we know that, you know, about the struggles last year with Mac Jones. And I know everybody wants to chalk it all up to Matt Patricia and Joe Judge. And that's, that's fair. Like having those two at offensive coordinator running your offense, it's not great, especially for a young quarterback. But Mac Jones, I think, you know, I tweeted and I have a bookmarked for occasions like this after his rookie season when the Patriots went 10 and seven, I said, I think that might've been the best we're going to see of Mac Jones. Mm. And I think that his ceiling is just kind of being a middle of the pack guy. I don't think he has anything extraordinary in his arsenal. So for me, I think the Patriots are just very, very bland defensively. They're going to be good. I love the addition of Christian Gonzalez in the draft. Matt Judon is a very good edge rusher, but overall, man, like this team just lacks any sort of juice to me. One of the things that frustrates me, and we started talking about this last week, and it kind of plays off what you just said. You just said, oh, I think they're going to lean into the run game. Well, if that is their plan to lean into the run game, they really haven't built their roster like that because the offensive line is such a huge question mark for this team. Like I think back to, and I keep using this example, I think back to Cleveland during the COVID season, right? Baker Mayfield, Mm. a rather limited quarterback. Now, they invested in Jarvis Landry and OBJ, et cetera. That was a team with Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb and a dynamite offensive line, and the run game carried them to the playoffs and a playoff win. If the Patriots were going to do that, that's one thing, but they haven't built their roster that way, Jared. Yeah, I'm actually pulling up their depth chart right now just to see what they have uh, on the offensive line. That's the answer. Not much. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, I mean, you got Trent Brown and Cole Strange on the on the left side. David Andrews in the middle, I mean, is usually reliable, but Riley Ree, uh, Michael Wenu on the right side. It's there's question marks. Yes, I think you put it very very kindly. Is they they haven't constructed the roster in the way that you would like them to if they're just going to lean into being a run heavy unit. Um, and that's another thing. Like if like when the play does break down, I don't think they have the quarterback that can, you know, run around and extend things. And again, I, I don't want this to turn into like the Mac Jones bashing hour. That's that's not my goal here. But I, I do think that they are limited at that position. And there's a, a very obvious cap on what they can do. So, you know, and that's why, you know, I kind of pose the question like, and I just sent it out as a tweet just to see what the reaction would be. Is like, what does Mac Jones do that Bailey Zabby can't? So I think he gives you a little bit more on the athletic side of things where he can move around a little bit more than Mac Jones can. And, you know, I know that this is Mac Jones's job, but I would not be surprised whatsoever if we see Zappy at some point this season, again, like we did last year. Um, I, I just have a lot of questions about Bill Belichick, the general manager in yeah. terms of the way that he's constructed the offense. 
Jared Bailey with us from USA Today, also the Believe Podcast Network. They do great work at Believe. We uh, we love when their guys come on as well, so you can find Jared over there also. And he's on the Brady Farkas Show on this Monday. You know, it's interesting. We've talked a lot about this over the last couple of weeks, but how much do you think, like, quarterback insecurity is a not great quality? Because Mac Jones and Bailey Zappi do not get along. Mac clearly feels threatened by Zappi, and it's very, very apparent. He doesn't sit next to Zappi on the sideline. He doesn't dap up Zappi when he comes off in his series in the preseason. They're very much to themselves. There's clearly a rivalry there. And Bill Belichick is kind of fed into this because last year he wouldn't say, uh, you know, Mac's the starter. He wouldn't guarantee Mac the job. Mac feels like he's playing the position looking over his shoulder. And for a guy who has limited talent anyways, that doesn't seem like a real healthy thing heading into the season. Yeah, I mean, I think different guys respond to different types of adversity in different ways. And I think if it were, you know, somebody with more of a proven track record, I don't think they would feel threatened. Um, Similar to, you know, in the same division, like Aaron Rodgers isn't going to feel threatened by Zach Wilson. Yeah. But, you know, if you're a guy like Mac Jones who's coming off a year in which he didn't perform all that well, you know, you hear the murmurs about, okay, what can this guy actually do? And then last year, I mean, you remember in the Chicago game, Mac Jones gets pulled and Bailey Zappi immediately leads them down the field and scores a touchdown. Like, yeah, there's going to be questions about, oh, okay, well, which guy should we lean into in the future? Um, and look, I think regardless, the future of the Patriots at the quarterback position isn't on the roster right now. And, you know, whether that be Jones or Zappi, I, I don't think Trace McSorley is going to be be their savior. Malik Cunningham's fun, but I think he's going to be more of a preseason Hall of Famer than than anything else. Um, I, and this is, you know, looking far ahead, but I would keep guys like Kyler Murray, Kirk Cousins in the back of your heads if you're Patriots fans, especially depending on how the season goes, playing in that type of a division. If Mac Jones struggles, if they turn to Bailey Zappi, and he doesn't look all that great. Like I would be, especially with Bill Belichick at the age he is, he's gotta he's gotta know that he's not only on the back nine of his career, he's probably on the final few holes. I I would like to think that he's smart enough to not put all of his eggs in the baskets of Bailey Zappi and Mac Jones, especially when you got Kirk Cousins going to be available in free agency, depending on how Arizona performs. You know, their head coach and their front office aren't tied to Kyler Murray. This regime didn't draft him. If they draft a Drake May or a Caleb Williams, they're going to have a quarterback on the market. And I don't know what the dynamic of Kyler Murray and Bill Belichick would be like, but that's something that I would love to see. <laughs> um, but in terms of talent, like that's a, a clear and obvious upgrade. So I think they're, they're going to be in the market. If I'm, if I'm guessing and betting right now, I think they're going to be in the market for a quarterback next year. Um, it, it's just a tough division with a, a good quarterback talent in the division. And right now, when you look at the roster, I mean, they're, fourth out of four uh, when it comes to talent who in the AFC do you think the Patriots are definitively better than right now I think they'll be better than the Colts yeah like I I love what the Colts are building like they have a very clear vision in mind is all right get athletes that fit our scheme and we'll lay this foundation this year I think the Colts will be fun like they're they're already all right Anthony Richardson you're our starter you'll take some licks but learn on the job use your legs it'll be I think it'll be fun to watch um, definitively better. I think they're better than the Raiders. I think the Raiders are a dumpster fire. Okay. Um, I would listen to the argue about Denver. It, it just very much depends on Russ. Um, I think that's it. Like, I think Houston as a roster is better than them. And I think really, 
Houston quietly has a really solid roster. Like they got two really good tackles in Howard and Laramie Tunsil, um, a good running back committee led by Devin Singletary, Damian Pierce on the defensive side of the ball, Jalen Petrie, uh, uh, Derek Stingley, Jimmy Ward follows Jamaica Ryan's over from San Francisco. Will Anderson already looks really good. They got a really solid defense. The only thing that's really lacking for the Texans is, re- is receivers. Tank Dell looks really fun. Nico Collins is fine, but they don't really have like a proven number one. That's that's really their only area of like huge concern for Houston. I think they I think they're very similar to the Colts. Like they're not going to be great this year, but I think they could be a sneaky team that wins like seven games, eight games, and like stays relevant. And then next year we can see them in the hunt for a playoff spot, depending on how CJ Stroud performs. I, I really like Houston. I think that they're kind of flying under the radar. But outside of that, man, I don't think we can definitively say they're better than anybody else in the conference. What do you think of Cleveland? Because Cleveland's a team I think kind of on oh. par with the Patriots. I think that's a fair comp. Um, the thing with the Browns is, like, yes, I think Stefanski's system works. It just depends on the quarterback. I, I think that the quarterback and the head coach and the offense just don't mesh. Like, you can have an offense that doesn't suit a quarterback. The quarterback can still be good. It just doesn't work. And I think that's what we're seeing here is the offense that Kevin Stefanski runs doesn't necessarily suit Deshaun Watson. And – I know that people are like, oh man, you know, if Deshaun Watson looks, it's been three years since we've seen a good Deshaun Watson. Like, I, I, I'm tired of like people just kind of penciling that in as a guarantee just because, all right, he's had an entire offseason. He'll be fine. Like, we don't know that. And there's a lot of reports coming out of Cleveland that he doesn't look good. So, uh, I think that if I had to bet on which team will have a better record, I'd probably bet on New England because I trust our coach a hell of a lot more. And like Cleveland just historically, like if you bet on Cleveland, they're going to let you down. So, I would listen to the now roster wise the Browns are better, but in terms of putting it all together and getting the most out of your guys, I trust Bill Belichick a lot more than anybody in Cleveland. Jared Bailey, USA Today, Believe Podcast Network, and Matt Verderam approved. So we'll uh <laughs> Jared, thanks, man. Appreciate the time. We'll catch up again down the road. All right, buddy, appreciate you. Absolutely appreciate you as well. It was Jared Bailey over at USA Today with us here. First time ever talking to Jared Bailey. I followed him on social media for a while. I reached out to my guy, Matt Verder, and said, hey, like, what do you know about Jared? What do you think he'd be good to come on the show? And he said, yeah, man, he's great. So reached out yesterday, got him on uh, today, and it was that quick. So appreciate people who uh, who come on the show, especially for the first time. So Jared was awesome. We'll definitely have him again as we go. Said some very interesting things. The Patriots quarterback of the future is not on the roster. Interesting. Be on the lookout for guys like Kyler Murray or guys like Kirk Cousins. Interesting. Just another guy who is not a huge Mac Jones believer. So just take note of this, right? It doesn't mean that I am right about Mac Jones, but it means there are people in my camp here about Mac Jones. Okay, There are enough people out there that are not true Mac Jones believers. Again, it does not mean that Mac Jones stinks. But I don't really want to pay Mac Jones $40 million in the future. I don't really want to do what the Giants did with Daniel Jones with Mac Jones. I don't think that he's good enough for that. And it's very interesting. You heard Jarrett say it because I've been saying it for years about Mac Jones. He's not mobile enough, right? And this is one thing you are going to see this year. The Patriots' offensive line is not good. And one of... Two things is going to happen here. One, when the offensive line gets beat, Mac Jones is just going to go down and get sacked, and the Patriots are going to be constantly in second and third and long. Or, Mac is going to try to be tough 
and stay in there, and he will take hit after hit after hit. Now, I think he's more wired to do that. We saw at the end, you know, Tom Brady would just go down if he was about to get touched. That's how Mac could keep himself safer, but the Patriots will end up in second and third and long. I think Mac Jones is wired to try to stay in the pocket and be tough. If he does that, he's going to get killed. He does not have the escapability. He does not have the move ability to get outside the pocket. We saw Jordan Love the other day get outside the pocket a bit for the, for the Packers against the Patriots. We've seen it with Lamar Jackson. We've seen it with Justin Fields. I am at the point now in the NFL where I believe if you are a young quarterback, you need to have mobility, and Mac Jones doesn't have it. It's that simple. Oh, but Brady, Drew Brees couldn't run, and Peyton Manning couldn't run, and Aaron Rodgers doesn't run, and Tom Brady couldn't run, and all these guys were great. This, Let me tell you the secret of NFL quarterbacking. When you have 8 to 10 years of experience, you don't need to run. Okay? Because your mind can do everything for you. Your mind can compensate for some things around you. Your mind can pick out the weaknesses in a defense, and your mind can make plays. So, yes, Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers now, these guys don't have to run. Russell Wilson shouldn't have to run. Okay, These guys have enough experience now where they have learned how to play the position, and they have played the position in all of their and learned all of its intricacies. Okay? You've built up enough experience to not need the athleticism. Well, what do you do in the meantime while you're growing into that experience? You need the athleticism. Okay? When you don't have all the answers to the test before the test starts, you need something to help bail you out of trouble, and that is your athleticism. Patrick Mahomes has it. Josh Allen has it. Joe Burrow has enough of it. And now you see, okay, Lamar Jackson has used it. Justin Fields has used it. This is what quarterbacking is. When you get to the experience level that those guys had, you don't need the athleticism. As you're building up to that experience level, you need athleticism. And Mac Jones doesn't have it. So he's going to stay in the pocket and get killed, or he's going to just go down in the pocket, and it's constantly going to be a bad situation. And that's not something I'm excited for. The Patriots needed to do a better job building and fortifying the offensive line, and it doesn't look very good. It doesn't look very good. Patriots did beat the Packers 21-17 on Saturday night before the game was suspended. Jared Bailey gave you his thoughts. We'll talk about our thoughts on the Patriots as we unpack the Patriots. We'll do it next on the Brady Farkas Show on DEV. This is former NFL wide receiver Keyshawn Johnson, and now we're back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV Radio and WDEVRadio.com. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show, right here on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVRadio.com. Thank you to Keyshawn there. So i got to get some more ESPN guys. Now, Keyshawn's not out of ESPN anymore, but i got to get some more ESPN guys to uh, – to do some things like that. Danny, there's a way, and, and I will do it. I'm just telling you more than anything because uh, you're you know new to being full-time here. There's a way to get ESPN guys to, to do things like that for you. And you got to have a little connection. you got to know some people. But I think we know those people. So we'll try to see if we can get some ESPN people on uh, to make some more. We call them liners for us, or, you know, intros into our segments here. So I'll have to uh, put that on the Brady Farkas show to-do list. And uh, 
I'm speaking a little out of turn here. Who's number one on a, your wish list? Ooh. I would love it if Greenberg did something for us. Like if he voiced an intro like that, I think Greenberg would be cool. Anyone who's got a tie to us locally, you know, actually, shockingly enough, we don't have one of those from Buster. Like I would love for, you know, I would love to get Buster to do one. I think that would be great. Um, Perk, Celtics guy, you know, anyone with a tie locally, a tie regionally, Kendrick Perkins, I think would be cool. We, we need, we need more guys like that. And, uh, I'm speaking out of turn because it's way above my pay grade, but I would love to take some listeners down to ESPN with us. Uh, you've never been to ESPN, right? I have not. Yeah, it's awesome. Like, and I, I used to, at an old radio station, used to run a contest where we would have listeners, you know, you'd, ultimately you'd win the prize, and the prize was to go down to ESPN headquarters with me and the time it was Rich and Arnie at the other show that I worked on previously to DEV. I've been to ESPN headquarters probably four times now. Man, it is awesome. And they shut down tours like this because of COVID, um, so I don't even know if they're doing them anymore. But I would love to take listeners to ESPN. And I know, like, ESPN's lost some luster, right? Other people are in the game now, and their ESPN radio isn't what it used to be. I totally get all of that, and I understand that. But still, going to ESPN, Danny, and you would come too, is one of the coolest things that you can do. And I highly recommend it. Now, it's not something you can just do. You do have to know people there, and you do have to be a sanctioned guest. You cannot, like, just show up and, and take a tour of ESPN. But So I've done it four or five times now. And you go, you know, sit on the Sports Center set, sit on the NFL Live set, sit on the Baseball Tonight set, see the X Games. For as little of an extreme sport guy as I am, to see the X Games wall is incredible. And uh, the college football helmets, just this giant locker of college football helmets that they use for college game day is cool. And then just to see the people who are hanging around the campus of ESPN that day, you know, who's eating in the cafeteria when you're reading there and who's just walking around. Like I remember – you know, hooking up with Field Yates there before and with Drew Brooks, who was the old producer of Mike and Mike, and um, Stefania Bell has come on the show, and Diana Rossini was on my old show when we were down at ESPN. It's really just a cool experience. So, yeah, we got to get some people to voice some stuff for this show, but I want to ultimately take some listeners to ESPN with us. I want to see if I can get the DEV management team on that. Kevin says, I want to go to ESPN. Kevin, I would like you to go to ESPN. Oh, Peter says Scott Van Pelt. Yeah, that's true. You know, Van Pelt is kind of one of my white whales in this business. I would love to have Scott Van Pelt on the show, and I don't have any way to get him on the show. Like, I can't think of the first way to go about trying to get Van Pelt. Like, the people I know at ESPN higher-ups, they're not going to get – Van Pelt's too big for them to force to come on my show. Van Pelt can do whatever he wants, and if I ask my friends at ESPN who are high up, hey, can you help me get Van Pelt, they won't even take the request to him. I'm positive of it. I could message him on Twitter. He gets a 1,000 tweets a day. He's not going to see it. I don't have Van Pelt's number. I got a lot of people's phone numbers. Van Pelt's not one of them. I have no easy way to acquire it. The best option I would have is Rosillo, because Rosillo is obviously friends with Van Pelt. They did the radio show together. I can't ask Rosillo that favor. I, I won't bring myself to ask Rosillo that favor. Rosillo is a great guy. He is awesome to us. He's awesome to this show. He loves Vermont. I can't be the needy friend who comes to him and says, hey, can you hook me up with Van Pelt? I can do that with other people. I'm not doing it to Rosillo. Rosillo is good enough with his time for us. I can't go ask it for favors. So. Van Pelt, I would love to have on the show as a guest. I would love to have him voice something for this show. 
I, I think he might be destined to be my white whale. Like, I don't think I can get him. Um, it's also bothering me two things now. One, I tried Benito Santiago for the Immaculate Grid of Tigers-Giants. Was not right. So now I'm furious. Now I've missed my Immaculate Grid for the day. I'm going to have to open it in a new browser and try it a second time because I'm not letting Tigers and uh, Giants derail me. And two, I'm extremely bothered by the fact that in the video stream, I broke, I broke the rule. And this is a real problem for me. So, Danny, I'm in the opposite studio of you, right? And we have a green screen in my studio because my studio is not, like, particularly picturesque. You're in the studio that looks, you know, is better kind of scene-wise. So I have the green screen behind me. It looks like I'm in this beautiful house with this giant Baldwin piano where I'm really not. But because I'm in a green screen, I know better than to wear clothes that have green. Because if you wear green clothes with a green screen, everything comes out screwed up. And here I am, I'm wearing a Seahawks sweatshirt with a little bit of green, and it's all messed up on the sweatshirt, and the green part looks brown, and it looks ridiculous. And since all of my clothes are Mariners and Seahawks clothes, I basically can only wear like five shirts ever on the video stream. So it's a real big problem for me to not wear Seahawks or Mariners clothes, and I need to not do that because the video stream has made my sweatshirt look transparent and ridiculous that's what it, it's transparent it's not even brown it's just transparent it's shy I, so like i lift up my sweatshirt here and you can see the design in the middle and then there's just transparent stuff I, it's re- absolutely ridiculous so i need to not do that 802-585-3026 on the text line um all right danny let's talk about the patriots on field stuff right the isaiah bolden storyline is the biggest thing that came out of Saturday's game, and him being okay is the biggest story out of Saturday's game. But there was three-plus quarters of football played. Let's cue the music. Also, Danny, we haven't made a new one of these yet, so I'm going to go with last year's. we got to get the Unpacking the Patriots sounder in here from my guy Bob Sosa. Which Patriots popped? To the 30, to the 20. He is end zone bound. Pick six. Touchdown, Patriots. And which ones flopped? Jones steps up in the pocket, unloads a deep ball, and it's intercepted. That'll put the cherry on top. We unpack the Patriots now on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Yeah, we're going to make a new one of those before the season starts. So, Danny, that's also on our Brady Farkas show to-do list here. Get ESPN personalities to record things. Make new Unpacking the Patriots sounder. There you go. It's written down. Okay, a lot of good, a lot of bad out of this game for the Patriots. Let's start with something that was good. Defensively, first drive of the game, it's not something that's going to stand out to you, but it's something that stood out to me. The containment by Dietrich Wise on Jordan Love in the first drive. That was absolutely huge. I talk about, and I just talked about, how important having a mobile quarterback is, a guy who can extend plays, a guy who can get outside of the pocket, a guy who can turn up field. Well, how do you counteract that as a defense by being disciplined and by staying in your lane? There was a play on the first drive for the Packers where Jordan Love broke out to, you know, he's trying to get outside the pocket. Dietrich Wise is coming off the edge. When we talk about setting the edge, when we talk about quarterback containment, what we mean is like your instinct is to try to get around the lineman to try to then go tackle Jordan Love. 
But the minute you go inside to get around a lineman, Jordan Love goes outside, and there's nobody there to keep him from going up the field. What Dietrich Wise did was he kept what we call gap integrity, and he didn't just go for Jordan Love. He basically, he rushed at him from the outside. He forced Jordan Love back to the middle of the field, and when you're in the middle of the field, you've got help. That was a great play, a disciplined play. And when you talk about the, the, the mobile quarterbacks the Patriots are going to see this year, they're going to see Russell Wilson. That's going to be important. They're going to see Justin Herbert. That's going to be important. They're going to see Patrick Mahomes. That's going to be important. And on down the list, as more teams get mobile quarterbacks and more teams have quarterbacks with the ability to move outside the pocket and extend plays, you have to be sound in your fundamentals. And containment on the outside is one of those biggest fundamentals. If you don't want to get killed by a running quarterback, don't rush from the middle and let them out. Rush from the edge, flush the middle to where you have help. And on that play, Jordan Love had to come back to the middle of the field, throw across his body, threw an incomplete pass. That was a great play by Dietrich Wise. Okay, on the bad side of things, unpacking the Patriots. So, Danny, you watched the game, right? Did. Okay. So remember that Packers drive, that first Packers drive, ended when the the ball got snapped over Jordan Love's head, right? So Patriots ended up getting the ball on the fumble recovery just inside the 20-yard line or so, right? So it was a short field for the Patriots. What happened immediately following that? Trent Brown, false start. That cannot happen. Your defense gets gifted a turnover. Your offense gets gifted first and ten inside the 20, and immediately, immediately, the most veteran of your offensive linemen, with the exception of David Andrews, the most veteran of your offensive linemen commits an undisciplined penalty. We just talked about the the discipline needed for Dietrich Wise, undisciplined penalty from Trent Brown. First and 10, you've got the momentum, you've got the gift, you're in the red zone, and now you're all of a sudden first and 15. The Patriots' offense is not built for first and 15 it's certainly not built for first and 15 inside short you know inside tightly contained areas which is where you are inside the 25 you can not have that last year after last year we saw this too many times we also saw the patriots get a penalty after a punt right patriots returned a punt got a penalty can't have this stuff when the when you get the change of possession you cannot be saddled with penalties and undisciplined play and that is a problem. It was a problem last year. It's something that's supposed to be corrected this year. And your veterans cannot be making mistakes, and Trent Brown did. First and 10 inside the 20 after a turnover, that needs to be an immediate 7. And instead, it turned back into first and 15, something we saw too many times last year. Back to the good side of things. I really like the Patriots using the RPO, okay, the run-pass option. We saw this stuff, we're talking about like a decade ago, okay? Colin Kaepernick with the 49ers, Russell Wilson with the Seahawks, Lamar Jackson. This is the one where the quarterback sticks the ball in the shotgun in the running back's belly, and then we'd see the quarterback either hand it off or take off, and that became a huge part of the quarterback run game. Well, the RPO has evolved that non-mobile quarterbacks can use them too. So what we see Mac Jones do on this play, it was the first Patriots drive, it was a completion to Kendrick Bourne. Uh, it was on second down, it became a first down inside the red zone. Mac Jones put the ball in the belly of the running back, pulled it out, hit Kendrick Bourne on a slant. Okay, Mac Jones is not looking to take off here. This is not a play for him to run. But what this does, 
is this forces the linebacker to make a choice. Okay, this forces your edge rushers to make a choice. If your edge rushers stay back to defend that area where Kendrick Bourne caught the pass, well, now you've got one or two less guys on the line. Well, now I'm going to hand it to Ramondre Stevenson or Ezekiel Elliott. If your edge guys and linebackers are going to come up to play the run because I've stuck it in Ramondre Stevenson's belly, well, now you've got one or two less guys clogging up the middle of the field, and now I can hit Kendrick Bourne on that slant. Patriots used it. Patriots did it. It's a good job by Bill O'Brien. It's something we saw with Josh McDaniels a bit. It's something we didn't see last year. It's a tool to help Mac Jones. We talk about how can you help a limited quarterback, how can you help a guy that doesn't have a lot of athleticism. Creativity is one of those ways. We saw the little pop pass early in the game where Mac got the snap and just popped it to the receiver in front of him. That's something popular that teams do now. And the RPO in the quarterback game where you hold the linebacker, hold the edge guy, let the quarterback make his decision, read the defense, and it worked perfectly because Kendrick Bourne got a first down there in the middle of the field. That was a great play inside the red zone. People have been very, very high on Kendrick Bourne here in camp and preseason. We'll talk more about that tomorrow. Patriots wide receivers have an interesting battle going on right now. A bad thing out of the Patriots game from Saturday night. The red zone, as good as that play was to Kendrick Bourne, the red zone still presented problems for the first-team offense. Okay, The Patriots were among the worst if not the worst, I have to go back and check my research on this, but they were among the worst, if not the worst, in red zone touchdown percentage a year ago. Danny, I think you can find that, team, teamrankings.com. You can look last year at NFL stats. Tell me if, where the Patriots were in red zone touchdown percentage. If you can't find it, I'll find it here as we talk. But uh, I think the Patriots were last or very, very close to it, and they were last for a lot of the season. They really struggled finishing off drives. If you're not going to have a, a great offense – your trips to the red zone are probably going to be limited. When you get there, you've got to capitalize. Now, Patriots get gifted the turnover. Okay, They get gifted the turnover. They got to third down in the red zone. They had first and goal inside the 10 after that born catch. Didn't get it on first, didn't get it on second. On third down, they threw a pass to Devontae Parker that was not even the same stratosphere. They got bailed out by a penalty they eventually scored. You shouldn't have to get bailed out by penalties inside the red zone. You should be able to finish, and the Patriots weren't. Okay? They've got to be better in the red zone. If you're not going to get there a lot, you've got to be able to finish when you do, and the Patriots struggled at that all last year. They struggled with the first-team offense again on Saturday night. Dan, did you find that percentage? Dead last. Dead last. What was the percentage? 42%. Okay, and what was the highest percentage in the NFL last year? 71%. Do you want to guess? Well, my, anything offense, I would say Kansas City, but that might not be it. Could it be Dallas, given that they had Zeke and he was so great in the end zone? In the it was zone? Dallas. Okay. Kansas so, City, close second. All right, so that's good news for the Patriots, right? Part of the reason Dallas was so good in the red zone last year is because they had Zeke, who has the ability to finish off front. But they also had a lead offensive weaponry like you know, good tight end play, C.D. Lamb, they have a good offensive line, all those things they have better than the Patriots. The pa- the hope is for the Patriots that Ezekiel Elliott can help make them better in the red zone, but you can't put it all on Zeke. Okay? You can't be taking penalties like Trent Brown did that knocked you out of the red zone. You can't be relying on penalties to get you out of bad situations offensively. That can't happen. Uh, I got time for two more here. Um Something else good. 
How about the Kayshawn Booty touchdown? Right, Danny, this is a guy who's a rookie wide receiver. They took, uh, they got out of LSU. This is a guy who set receiving records at LSU. Like, above Jamar Chase, above Justin Jefferson, above uh, Odell Beckham, is Kayshawn Booty. Now, this is a guy who, um, you know, I see right now, the ESPN person called him the steal of the draft. They took him the sixth round. This year, the same round they took Pop Douglas, we've been focusing on DeMario Douglas being the wide receiver that can come out of nowhere for the Patriots. Well, maybe it's both of them. Maybe it is Kayshawn Booty because he catches a slant for Bailey Zappi and takes it to the house 40-plus yards. Danny, it's been years since I can remember a Patriots wide receiver that could take a slant and just go to the house. Patriots have not had that kind of athleticism. They had it with Josh Gordon. Was he? I mean, he had that ability, but they weren't really able to get it out of him. Antonio Brown was only here for one week. He was another guy that could have been able to do it. They haven't had it. Okay, Bourne's not that kind of player. Parker's not that kind of player. Juju's not that kind of player. Edelman wasn't that kind of player. Jacoby Myers wasn't that kind of player. Kayshawn Booty showed some speed and athleticism. He flashed it in a way that no Patriots wide receiver in the last several years had. Nikhil Harry couldn't do it. The Patriots have had slower receivers that can't separate. Booty catches the ball, takes it to the house, 40-plus yards. That was nice to see. Very, very impressive. And finally, on the negative side of things, I, I mean, when your coach schemes up something great, you've got to hit. And Mac Jones had a play-action pass, wide open Hunter Henry, middle of the field, would have been a 20-25 yard gain. Mac overshot him by four yards. Can't happen. Can't happen. Just like when you get to the red zone, you have to capitalize. When you scheme up for a team that can't separate and for a quarterback who's not mobile, when you scheme up something sweet, it's got to be a hit. And you can't have 25-yard passes lay on the cutting room floor. And that's exactly what happened to Mac Jones on Saturday night. He had one big shot, and he missed Hunter Henry by a wide, wide margin. That's Unpacking the Patriots. We do that every single post-game day. We'll do it all regular season here on the Brady Farkas Show, and uh, it's one of my favorite segments of every single Monday or Friday if the Patriots have played on Thursday, or I guess Tuesday if they played on Monday. So I love unpacking the Patriots. I also love the Red Sox going for a fourth consecutive win. Red Sox-Astros going to tee it up from Minute Maid Park coming up 7-10 pregame show about 20 minutes from now. Get you the Sox lineups as they go for that fourth straight victory. We'll do it next on DEP. Red Sox-Astros come up about 15 minutes from now. 7-10 pregame show after CBS News. 8-10 first pitch. Huge series. I told you, Red Sox three and a half games back at Houston. We've been so focused on Seattle. Well, it's time to start focusing on Houston. You're three and a half back of them. You've got a four-game series here Monday through Thursday. You know what that means. You take all four. You're in possession of a wild card spot potentially by the end of the week, depending on what happens with Toronto and Seattle. But this is the best way to control your own destiny is to beat teams directly in front of you. You don't get to play them that often. The Astros are one you're playing now. Red Sox are 66 and 58. The Astros are 70 and 55, but they have dropped three consecutive games and six of their last ten. James Paxton pitches for Boston 7 and 3 with a 3-3-4 ERA. Christian Javier goes for the Strohs 8 and 2 with a 4-4-9, throws hard, has a good sweeper, but can get wild at times. 
Alex Verdugo leads off for the Sox. He's in right. Rafael Devers is in third. Masataki Yoshida's in left. Tristan Casas in the four hole today at first. Adam Duvall's in center. Trevor Story is the DH. Pablo Reyes is at short. Reese McGuire, the catcher. And Luis Arias is at second. Jose Altuve leads off for the world champs. He's at second. Alex Bregman at third. Kyle Tucker in right field. Back from illness. Jordan Alvarez, the DH. Chaz McCormick is in left. Yainer Diaz is the first baseman. Guy who hits with some good power here for the Strohs. Very aggressive at the plate. Jeremy Pena is at short. Jake Myers is the catcher, is the center fielder, excuse me. And Martin Maldonado is the catcher. And he bats ninth. We've got full shows most of the week here on the Brady Farkas Show. I think all week, actually, on the Brady Farkas Show. Um, yeah, four games with Houston. This is what we wanted, right? We wanted the Red Sox to be in a playoff race. This is what a playoff race looks like. Good teams at the end of the season. That's what the Astros are. We'll see what the Red Sox can do with them. All 90 minutes again tomorrow. Thanks to Jared Bailey of USA Today for stopping by on the show. Also, thanks to Danny, of course, for engineering the show from behind the scenes. Appreciate him as always. Red Sox baseball, the official pregame show in about 15 minutes here on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. Go download the full show podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and at our website. I'll see you tomorrow, everybody.